You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Would you open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7? And as you're doing that, would you please uh, stand up as we read God's Word? We are continuing on in our series entitled Unboxed. We are on week three of uh, this series. And if you have your apps with you, your victory app. How many of you like, like our church app? Do you like it? It's, it's very functional, right? So uh, we are um, committed to improving that as well. So you can use your Bibles there on your apps as well. So Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our Redeemer. Lord, you sent your one and only Son to take our place and die our death so that you could give us eternal life through him. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes today as we continue to study everything about Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and as we look at his a throne name today of, of uh, Everlasting Father, we pray that we would rest secure in your love for us as your children, as we look to you as our Heavenly Father. We thank you, and we commit to you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may take your seats. This uh, Thursday, we're going to be having our Christmas Eve service, and then after that, we will all go to our own families, our own homes, and celebrate Christmas Eve dinner. Some of you will wait for the stroke of midnight before you have your dinner, because um, that's what you've been used to. Some of you will just go to sleep and, and wake up the next morning and celebrate Christmas morning. You know? So however you celebrate Christmas, the important thing is that we do know why we celebrate this season. Okay? And many of us are expectant of gifts. I'm pretty sure a lot of people's children here are looking at the gifts already under your Christmas trees and wanting to open them already. Okay, so, but the greatest gift we can ever receive in our life, not just in Christmas, is the gift of eternal life, and that is found only in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the, the greatest gift that God has ever given us. Okay, and what we want to do in the series is we're unboxing that gift Basically looking at his four throne names, okay? Theologians would call it um, the four throne names of the Messiah. And so we, we read from Isaiah chapter 9, and as we've gone through the last two weeks, we have seen that the context of this passage is that it was a dark time. It was a time of apostasy. It was a time of, of uh, just personal selfishness and not really following God. On top of that, they were led by an, a king who was from the line of David and yet who was ungodly and who was uh, looking more to trusting man than trusting God. And so, and it is during a time that they were being attacked by two other kingdoms, and then there's an imminent attack by the Assyrian Empire. So it was a dark time, okay? So there's threat from outside, but they're also corrupting from within. And so 
during this time, even in this time of unfaithfulness, God was still faithful to his people, Israel. So Israel became two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel in the north, comprised of ten, ten of the tribes of Israel, and two tribes of Israel in the south named the kingdom of Judah. And so God was still faithful to them in spite of their unfaithfulness. And isn't that an amazing thing that we can learn that, you know, even in spite of our at times that we're unfaithful or at times we're faithless, God remains faithful to us. Don't you appreciate that? Appreciate God being consistent, being faithful to us, okay? And so even in, in the midst of their unfaithfulness, God was faithful to them. In, in chapter 9, we see here God giving them a prophetic word through the prophet Isaiah that their hope as a people will not be snuffed out, okay? So they were, um, you know, they, were, they felt like they were hopeless, but their hope burns bright. And God gave them a prophetic word first in Isaiah 7 about a sign that God will not abandon them that by giving them a, a son, uh, that the, you know, the virgin will be with child, and he shall, he shall, they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And then here in Isaiah 9, God gives another assurance that their hope will not be snuffed out in the form of this passage that we read, this prophetic message, which... Later on, biblical scholars, theologians, and, and even the rabbis would call the messianic uh, verse, you know, a messianic prophecy. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see God speaking through the prophets and seeding people with the thought of a coming Messiah. Okay, people refer to this Savior as Messiah. And here in Isaiah chapter 9, God gives them a prophecy of a ruler that will, who will come from God and he will, he will be born at an undisclosed time. So basically Isaiah was not just prophesying something that's going to happen right away, but he was looking ahead into the future. Now, prophets don't see everything, okay? Only God can see everything, okay? How many of you have encountered prophets? Some of us think that when we see a prophet, they know everything. They don't know everything. Only God knows everything, right? Only God knows everything and teenagers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I say that because I thought I knew everything when I was a teenager. So, so I was referring to myself before. Okay, so <laughs> but anyway, uh, so God knew everything, but the prophet only saw in part. Okay, And so God allowed the prophet Isaiah to see in part into the future. And actually, as you, look, as you read the entire book of Isaiah, you'll find there different pictures that the Lord showed the prophet to give us a snapshot or an idea of what the Messiah is. Actually, the book of Isaiah is filled with messianic verses, you know, so that points to Jesus Christ, okay? And this coming ruler, okay, will be from the line of David, and he will rule, rule on David's throne forever. That's actually consistent with, with God's covenant promise to King David, because David pleased God. David was not perfect, but God gave him a covenant that your kingdom will last forever, okay? So in Second uh, Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, you'll see there God giving David a promise, okay? God giving David a promise that your kingdom will last forever. Not that he will live forever, but that his line will continue forever, and then here, God was giving 
Isaiah a prophetic word about a ruler who will come from uh, David's line and who will rule on David's throne forever. So here, God was being, being faithful to his promise to David. And as we know, fast forward to today, we know that this ruler is not just the Messiah that the, that the Israelites were expecting, okay? He is also the Savior of the world, not just of Israel, but the Savior of the world. And he is not the political leader that most of the Jews thought he would be, that he would be like King David, a political leader who will rule and reign just like David did. But here God will save, basically, God will use the Messiah to save us more than just from, our, from national bondage, but really from the bondage that, that matters most. It's our bondage to sin, and God will save us from our sins through the Messiah, okay? And so we're, we're going to look at this third throne name of Jesus, and in the New Testament points to Jesus as the one prophesied in the Old Testament as a Messiah, okay? And the good thing is the kingdom of God has been inaugurated in the earth by the Messiah when he first came. In his advent, in his first advent, the kingdom of God was ushered in. The messianic age has begun, and it's going to culminate when the Messiah returns, when he comes a second time in his second advent. Not to be the Lamb of God, but he's going to come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the righteous judge of all. Okay, And so he's going to come with victory, he will come as a conquering king. All right, so we're going to look at Jesus as the everlasting father. So what we're going to do, let's just look at this right now. Jesus is the everlasting father. Now, it's interesting here. A son is born, okay? He will be called Wonderful Counselor, which is a reference to deity, the mighty God, obviously a reference to deity. And then here is, he is the everlasting father. Now, a son is there. How can a son that's born, how can he be the everlasting father? So some people would not understand that. Obviously, a lot of people during that time did not understand it right away. Even Isaiah, just he was describing basically how he saw the Messiah. Okay. Not that he had the full understanding of it, but he saw and he described as best he could. Okay, that he's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Okay, that only today as, as God has given us wisdom and in complete picture through Jesus, we see the understanding of that. We begin to understand this. Now, let me just say this first. The word everlasting okay, is a title that does not apply to, to a human ruler, okay? It does not apply to a human ruler. It speaks of Jesus' divine origin. Though he was born in Bethlehem, Jesus has always been, okay? He was born in time, but he has existed from eternity past, okay? It was only when he became a man that he was born in time, okay? So, but he was, he has always been. Okay, so we're going to look at that further in a bit. And here, the word father, and, and the use of the Hebrew word for, for this, is actually that of a benevolent ruler. When you talk about a father, of course, a father is one who generates children, right? But 
in this sense, it also speaks of one who is a benevolent ruler, meaning a good ruler. Okay? You know, good kings, especially when they, when they rule for a long time, they're called the father of their nation. And here, the term father, referring to a ruler, is very common in the ancient, in the ancient times, especially in, in the Middle East, okay, in the ancient world. Father here, the word father can also mean originator and founder, okay? So, so to put it in terms we can, we can grasp or understand, how many of you remember your, your U.S. history? I hope you do. I hope you're studying you know, U.S. history, right? These are, this is a picture of what? The founding fathers. There you go. This, is a, this was during the time of uh, the Constitutional Convention. This was after the War for Independence. So this is the time that they were, they were drafting or they were writing the Constitution of the United States of America. America had become an independent country already, an independent nation. Now they're drafting the plan of government. Okay? Actually, the Constitution is not, was not, is not the first plan of government. It is the second plan. The first plan failed, okay, which is the Articles of Confederation. But anyway, so here, everything that we're, that's guiding this country's laws, the, you know, the writing of the laws, the principles of, of government, they all came from the ideas of the founding fathers, those who founded the nation, okay? Those who basically originated the idea of having a sovereign nation independent from, from England. So we refer to them as the founding fathers. They were the founders, okay? That, in that sense, we use the term father, and that's how the Jews use it uh, when they use this term father. Another example would be this guy, okay? Albert Einstein, okay? Um, he is referred to as the father of modern physics, okay? Because of his, of his uh, discovery of, you know, he just discovered things that already have been there, okay, in creation. But he's, he's discovered so many things that, has, that have allowed us for, you know, to advance even further in physics and the application of it, okay? That's why today, today some people, some people are, don't like their college degree or their subjects because of the things this guy discovered, okay? So, but, um, but he is referred to as the father of modern physics, okay? The term father, by its meaning originator, we can see it from Scripture here, John 8, 44, also in the New Testament, but the concept is there. Okay, so you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Another translation says he speaks his native language. Okay, and it says, therefore, he is a liar and the father of lies and the term here father you know the meaning of that is in the greek word also connotes originator okay so there you see the term father means not just a patriarch but a founder a discoverer or 
an originator. Okay? Now, when we see everlasting Father, Jesus is the everlasting Father, we must not misunderstand this. We must not, this must not be understood in Trinitarian terms. So some people say, so is Jesus, is Jesus the Father? The, the, so so what, does that, what does that imply for, you know, when it comes to the Holy Trinity? I mean, is there confusion among, among the Trinity? Is there a Trinity at all? That's not even the case, okay? That's not even the case there. So in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, let me read it. It says that the title Everlasting Father is an idiom, okay? Used to describe the Messiah's relationship to time, okay? Not his relationship to the other members of the Trinity, okay? In relation to time. He is the originator, okay? So he is said to be everlasting just as God the Father is called the Ancient of Days. You see, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, those are the three divine persons of the Godhead. We refer to them as the Holy Trinity. The, the term Trinity is not seen in the Bible, but the concept is there. Okay, it was theologians who have coined that okay, uh, after, you know, um, later on to refer to that concept. But the Bible reveals God is one God in three persons, distinct persons, but one. How can that be? And that's why it's a divine mystery. You see, if we can figure God out, God will not be God. You understand? Okay? So, so here, God has re- chosen to reveal himself. He hasn't explained why, but he has chosen to reveal himself as one God in three divine persons, three distinct persons. And that's why Jesus is co-eternal. He is the Son of God. He is coexistent, and everything that the Father is, Jesus, but he is distinct. He is the Son, and God the Father is the Father, and we have God the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he is said to be everlasting, just as God the Father is called the Ancient of Days. The Messiah will be a fatherly ruler, okay? So now, again, this messianic verse, the passage we read, refers to the Messiah as the everlasting father, as the Messiah relates to the people he will save. He will be an everlasting father to us, okay? So, but that is distinct from God the Father. I hope you're tracking here, okay? So, now, Jesus... And here's the other thing here. Um, Everlasting Father, basically, can also be translated from the original text as such. He is the Father of eternity. Okay? Jesus is the Father of eternity. What does that mean? Let's look at a few verses for us to understand that. First, John 8, verse 58. In the New King James Version, says, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if you look at it from a grammatical standpoint, that doesn't make sense. All you grammar police, that's wrong grammar right there. (laughs) You know, you you don't say Abraham was, I was. You know, I am. No, actually, Jesus was saying something here. And Abraham was considered by the Jewish nation to be the father of their nation, okay? 
Abraham was their patriarch. He was their father. And here Jesus is saying, before Abraham, you look to Abraham, before he even came to be, I am. In other words, he's been there. He's, exist, he's been existing. And Abraham just entered, came into time and, le- and went. Okay? So he was saying that, basically, he was showing his significance and his importance over Abraham. The Jewish people were looking at Abraham as, uh, he's, they were holding him up high as a, a figure of their faith, you know, so an example of faith. But Jesus is saying, see, before he was even alive, he was born, I am. What was Jesus saying here? You see the term I am, and as you study this, he was referring basically to, to Exodus when, when Moses asked God, who, what name shall I give to the, to the people? Who sent me? And God said, I am that I am. So Jesus was, when he was talking to the Pharisees here, he was already giving them hints. Okay, so he was giving them hints. I am. And that's why a lot of them are like, blasphemy. And they wanted to stone him. Okay, so, and here we see Jesus said that because, not because he was bragging, but he was simply stating who he, who he is. He is the father of eternity. And here, in John chapter 1, this becomes clearer as we look at these following verses. In the beginning was the Word. When time started, when time began, the Word was already there, pre-existing. Got it? Time had a beginning. And before time began, the Word was already there. In the beginning was the Word And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. You see, John here, and later on Paul, they were having, it was beginning to click. This is it. Okay, so they're beginning to see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus revealed the Father. But He also revealed that He is, He and the Father are one. Meaning, they're co-eternal, co-equal, okay, of the same substance, but they differ in their functions for the purpose of redemption. Okay, here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So this Word who is God was in the beginning with God. Okay? But He was also God. Now, are there many gods? No. There's only one God. Okay? Now, in verse 3, all things were made through Him. Can we read that again? All things were made through Him, through the Word, who was God, and who was with God, pre-existent, pre-existing from the beginning. Okay? All things were made through Him. In other words, all creation, the entire universe was made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life. Look at the person next to you. Is that a zombie or is that a living person? That, you see, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, your very life, you owe it to him. 
he is the creator of everything. And in him is a life. And the life was the light of men. Okay? Another passage. 1 John 4, verse 9. In this love of God was manifested toward us. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Basically, what, what, what are we saying here? Number one, Jesus is the source of eternity. And he is also the source of eternal life. Do you want to have eternal life? There's only one source. Jesus. Not any other religion. Not any other religious teacher. Jesus said, you know, that's why people say all religions are the same. They all lead to God. It's just a matter of your preference, which path you want to take. Number one, that statement is absurd because for you to be able to make that statement, that means you've observed that all paths lead to God. That all religion indeed lead, uh, all religions lead to God. That you know that for a fact. But that's actually a presumption that people receive, take as fact. But it's actually an assumption, a presumption, however you want to call it. But it's not truth. Okay? To that, here's what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So that's why other people of other faith accuse Christians. You are being exclusive. Well, you know what? Christ, there is an exclusivity to Christ. That is why he's the only way. When you have the only way, that is exclusive, right? How many of you ride in planes? And sometimes you just look at the premier line. And all of you are like, you know, see, all of you are lining towards that economy line and all of you are like jockeying for position. And all the other guys are just like there sitting down. And when they call, we'd like to welcome those of you who are medallion members or, or premier members or they're, they're of a certain tier. And all of you are jockeying for, for position. They're just there sitting down. And then when they're called, they walk past you. And just go straight, that, straight towards that line. And they go in first and you go, <laughs> exclusive. And when you try to go there, so sorry, sir. Got to wait in line over there. But I want to go in. It doesn't matter if you want to go in. This is exclusive. Okay? <laughs> so I'm not saying that Jesus is cutting everybody out. All I'm saying is there, if you want to know the way, there's only one way. Jesus Christ is the way way only one okay he is the source of eternal life matthew henry said this he is the everlasting father or the father of eternity he is god one with the father who is from everlasting to everlasting he is the author of everlasting life and happiness to them and so is the father and so is the father of a blessed eternity to them. So Jesus is the author of eternal life. And us becoming, you know, as we receive eternal life, he is like a father to us. He is a father of eternity to us. He was from eternity father of the great work of redemption. He is the father of our, our faith. He is the author of our faith. Does that sound familiar? 
The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of your faith. So he is the everlasting father. So in that respect, with regards to eternity, with regards to redemption, with regards to our salvation, he is the source of all that. And in that respect, he is a father to us. And the Messiah will rule. And here the Messiah is revealed to be as the ruler. He will rule not like a tyrant does. He is indeed the Lord of all. He is the mighty God. He conquers everything. And then in his rule, he will be as a father to all of us. Can you imagine being a child of the king? Can you imagine? He's... You see, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you can rebel against him, but the day will come, the Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will bow your knee to him whether you believe it or not, but you will bow your knee for the first time in submission, realizing that he is who he says he is, but it's going to be too late. Too late for you. But for us who already have bowed our knees to him by faith, by putting our trust in him, when we see him, he's not just going to be our king. But we know, already know, as we have already given our lives to him, he's not just our king. He is our father, the father of our faith, the one who started that faith in you. And he's the one who's going to perfect that. So when we see him on that day, when every knee shall bow, it's not going to be the first time we bowed our knee. Our knees have already bowed. Have, we have already bowed down to him. That means when we see him, there's, there is no dread in our hearts, but a great expectation. We're excited to see our Father. We're excited to see Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're excited to see the one who saved us, the one who is called our Messiah. There's a song in the, in the late 80s, early 90s by Gary Valenciano. It's called, Could You Be Messiah? And the end of the, the course of the song is, could you be Messiah to me? Think about that. Is he your Messiah? Or are you your own Messiah? Are you defining how you will be saved? Think about that. So my main point for this sermon is this. As everlasting father, Jesus is the author of eternal life. When we look at him as everlasting father, he is the one who begins eternal life in us. He's the author. And here's a good thing about Jesus. He is, he, how many of you begin something and, and leave it hanging? How many projects are left hanging in, at, at home? <laughs> All of us are guilty of that, right? <laughs> so, I want to do this, I want to do that. So it's still, and then, and, then we, and then the new year comes, you just... Copy-paste it to the next year. I mean, we, many of us, we start things and we don't finish them. So it's not about how we start, it's how we finish. The good thing about Jesus is this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus. If he started something in you, he will bring it to completion. All you need to do is just put your trust in him. You don't need to add anything to it. Just put your trust in him and obey him because everything he has for you as you're following him is for you to fulfill his purpose for your life 
so that you could bring glory and honor to him. You could glorify him with your life. He is the author of eternal life. Now, simple message, but what are the implications of this? If Jesus is our everlasting father, what does that mean? It means the following. Number one, we have eternal life in him. If he is your everlasting father, then you have eternal life. You see, it's because of what he has done and with the spirit of God, when he dwells in you, when he regenerates you, when you put your faith in Christ, you become born again. It's by the spirit of God. And when you're born again, you see, you know in your spirit that you are his child. And that's why you can call to him as father. You can relate to him as your father and you are, are his child. And he is a benevolent father, a good father. Not a father we dread or not a father we hate. Some of us have grown up with fathers that, are, that don't reflect the character of God. But that doesn't mean that God is like that. You see, even if you missed out on an earthly father that should have loved you, cared for you, and did everything a father should, you don't miss out when you go to God. Come on now. Okay? You can discover God as your father. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you have eternal life in him. John 17 says this. This is eternal life. Jesus is the one saying this. That they may know you. He was, he's talking to God the father. He's talking to his father. That this is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is all about knowing Jesus and knowing God the Father. Basically, knowing God himself. Knowing God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That is what eternal life is all about. It's knowing, and when you, when you say knowing, it's a relational word. In other words, eternal life is all about having a relationship. We can replace that word. And this is eternal life, that they may have relationship with you. The only true God and with Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you have that relationship with God? Or do, are you just in a religion? Are you just being religious, trying to be pious? Trying to be good? Eternal life. We can have eternal life right here. And it is all about a relationship with, with Jesus, with God, Father, and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Secondly, if Jesus is our everlasting Father, we have His provision in our lives. You see, here's what the Father does. You see, the Father brings life, right? Right? It's the Father who brings life. That's why a Father is referred to as a progenitor. Okay, so He's the one who basically fathers <laughs> multiply. Okay? They, they give life. They sow the seed of life. That's why if Jesus is our everlasting Father, we have His life. And secondly, a father provides for his children, right? Even if the poorest of the poorest father you have, he will still provide whatever he can because that is what fathers do. They provide. Not everything you want, maybe some of what you want, but they will make sure you, they will provide everything you need. That's what fathers do. And if Jesus is our eternal father, we have his provision in our lives. Now, think of it this way. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Imagine you are a child of, a, of an earthly monarch. Let's say you're a child of Queen Elizabeth. Will you be a poor person? You'll be richly provided for because Queen Elizabeth is rich. Right? Now, what is Queen Elizabeth compared to the King of Kings? She's just but a human being who will pass away. As great as she is, she will pass away. We have a Father who is eternal, everlasting, and He has He created everything. In other words, all the resources we need, He has it. So there, if we are in Him, all our needs will be met. But why is it, Pastor Neil, that I have a need right now? See, God will make sure you will have all you need. But it doesn't mean that you can just, he'll just pour it on your lap. You have to trust him. You have to put your faith in him, right? You have to trust him for that provision. But the provision will be there. When my, my second son, Luigi, he's not here, he's always asking, why? why? When can, can we have this? Can we? You know, if we're doing something and we want to provide something for him, he always asks questions. Why? When? And how is it, how is it going to happen? And how is it going to come about? When? What? He's always like that. I said, you know what, Luis? Just trust me. When it comes, it's going to be good. Okay? Just focus on that. Focus on that's going to be good because it's coming from us, your parents. Okay? And if we can be like that with our, with our parents... You know, we can really trust God because He has everything we need, right? Do we really believe that? We have His provision in our lives. If Jesus is our everlasting Father, then we have His protection. Fathers, you know what? Father, children, let me say this. Sometimes you may not realize this. Or maybe some of you adults here, maybe you have not realized it yet. But do you realize that your parents... Sacrifice a lot of what they want and need so that you can get what you want and what you need. Not everything that you want. Okay, but you'll get what you need. <laughs> and the parents go, <clears throat> And some of you adults need to hear that. Now, if that's the case, do you really appreciate your parents, what they've done? I'm not, I'm not just talking to the young people here. I'm talking even to the older folks. Do you appreciate your parents? Have you, have you shown that appreciation to them? They protect you. Sometimes you don't like it, but it's for your good. When my dad said to me no many times, I didn't like it. Now that I have kids, I see, looking back, it's only now that I'm realizing these things, he said those things for my protection. He was a good father. And see, God is a father who protects his children. He'll protect you. Don't worry about anything. He will. He is your protector. He is your mighty God, the one who fights your battles for you. If Jesus Christ is our everlasting father, we are assured of his protection. Okay? Fourthly, we can walk in his love. You see, we have, we're close to certain families here, right? Some of you are closer to other families. And, you know, something like my uh, Josh, 
my son Josh, you know, he always uh, stays with the Mejias, stays there sometimes on weekends, and they, they just do fun stuff together there. And, and uh, the Mejias, we just, they just love it. And that's why I appreciate the Mejias so much. They, they, um, they welcome Joshua in their, in their homes. They me, and from what Josh is telling me, that I think Migo's grandmother, right? Migo's grandmother, when Josh is there, pulls out that, like, you have a, a place to sleep already. So there's something like that. Okay, so <laughs> um, we appreciate that so much. You know, that's what family is. But how many of you know that um, it's only in your family that you can really be who you are? In your family. You know, even if you're super close with a certain family that's not your family, you can't really be who you really are. You know, at home we see, all of us see each other's whatever, and, you know, that stays in the family. Nobody would know about those things, okay? So, <laughs> and I'm, I bet it's the same with you guys, right? Yeah. There are things that your kids do that uh, you, just, you just enjoy, but you don't care to tell anybody else. It's only in the family that you can experience that kind of acceptance and love and not be judged for those. And you see, if you're in the family of God, you will walk in His undying, unfailing love. See, you don't have to perform. You see, my, my kids don't have to perform before us, before they, okay, now you can have your lunch. They don't have to perform. They don't even have to do anything. Just by the fact that they are our children, they get. They, you know, they're, they're, they're mustered with our love. Now, when you talk about love, it's not just a mushy thing. Of course, love also comes in the form of correction, right? And it's only in families that you can be corrected without being judged. You see, people outside will judge you, will correct and judge you. In the family, you'll get corrected you may not like it, but you know you're receiving it from someone who loves you. And you see, if he, Jesus is your everlasting Father, you can live in His unfailing love. And we can learn to love as He loves us. And the good thing is when we walk in His love, we catch that on and we, we learn how to love others just as He has loved us. Right? Even if you've been messed up as a kid, but if you learn from Jesus how he loves you, then you'll know how to love him and how to love others, just as he has loved you. And here's the thing, Jesus being the Father's exact imprint, okay, uh, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his image. He came to reveal the Father and His love. He is the Father of our faith. But our Father of our faith has come to reveal His Father's love. And let's look at a few verses there. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Live in my love. Okay, John 17, 26. Now I have declared to them your name. This is when He was praying to God the Father. John 17. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Heavenly Father, we share a love. I am your son, and your love for me is so great 
that I, you know, I want to reveal you to them so that the love that you have for me may be in them as well. That they may experience what I'm experiencing. Are you getting this? Jesus came to reveal the love of the Father so that we can live in it. So that we can experience that kind of love. And lastly, if Jesus is our everlasting Father, we can walk in the fullness of His destiny for us. Okay? We can walk in the fullness of His destiny. You are not an accident. Tell the person next to you, you are not an accident. See, even if your parents or people told you, you're, you know, we didn't plan you, you were an accident, you know. God planned you. God decided you're going to be born here at this time, at this hour, with this family. What? This dysfunctional family? Yes, he did. There is a purpose for that, right? If I were to ask you, would you want to be in another family, some of you would raise your hand and say yes. But I'm not going to ask that, okay? So anyway, it's God who places you in the family. For his purpose. And why? You are here for a reason. You are here for a purpose. It's not to make money. It's not to make your millions. It's not to make your name great. No. God has a purpose why you are alive today. And you will not feel alive until you walk in the fullness of that purpose and destiny. You see, a lot of people today, they have been ordained by God to do great things and they're doing something else. And inside, there's a, there's a vacuum, there's a hole, and it's, they always wonder, is there more to this life? They're saying that because they know they're not in touch with the very reason of their existence. But if you're walking in, in Christ, and you are, you are His child, and He is your everlasting Father, then you're aligned to His purpose and destiny, then your life has meaning, even during the challenging times. Charles Spurgeon Charles Spurgeon said this, Christ is called the everlasting father because he does not, because he does not himself as a father die or vacate his office. He's, he is still the federal head and father of his people. He is still the founder of gospel truth and of the Christian system. He is still the true life giver from whose wounds and by whose death we are made spiritually alive. He reigns even now as the patriarchal king. He is still the loving family head. And so in every sense, he lives as a father to us who believe. So, is, so we've been asking, if Jesus is your everlasting father, then you'll have his life, eternal life. You'll have his provision. You'll have his protection. You'll walk in His love, and you will walk in His purpose for your life. Isn't that a great life? Even if you're filled with challenges, knowing that Jesus is your Father, everything's good. Everything is put in perspective. He works all things for the good of those who love us, who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. He who began a good work in me will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And no matter what we go through, we can say, you know what? It doesn't matter if, I'm, if I have plenty or if I am in need. What matters is I am in Christ. I have everything I need. I am content where I am. Whether I'm rich or poor, as long as I have Christ, I have everything. I can do everything Amen. through him who gives me strength. Amen. The world's not going to define me. You see, the world will reject you 
if you're not, you don't have the status, if you don't have this much money in your bank, if you don't have the looks, you see, the Jesus, those things, those are all illusions. What matters to you should be what he says of you. You are his child, and you are his precious to him. Amen? So the question now is, is this, is Jesus Christ your everlasting father? He is the everlasting father, but is he your everlasting father? Let's all stand right now as we, as we pray. Jesus came as God's perfect gift for us. And God the Father wants us to receive this gift by faith. We don't have to add to it. We don't have to pay for it. He just wants us to receive it by faith. Jesus is our everlasting Father. He is the Father of our faith. The author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. But the thing is, this good work will begin. Actually, we will begin to realize this good work when we put our trust in Him. He has already done His work. But will we accept it? That's the question. When, you're, when we are given a gift, we have two options. We can either receive it or reject it. And God has given us the greatest gift of all. His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord, our Master and King, who will be, as we put our faith in Him, He will be our eternal Father. He will be the Father of our eternity, the Father of our eternal life. He will take care of us. He will rule over us, not as a tyrant, but as a Father who gives life, who provides, who protects who infuses us with His love and who points us to the very purpose and destiny why He created us. We will have all these benefits as we receive this gift. <laughs> but if we don't receive the gift, then we don't get to have all those benefits as well. So is Jesus Christ my everlasting father am I his child has he defined see fathers define their children fathers bring definition to children who defines my life is it God is it Jesus who defines my life or is it is, is it me do I define my life Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of people here who have thought of themselves as believers and yet they're the ones defining themselves and they're the ones who they trust in themselves and in religion more than they trust in you. Lord, would you open their eyes? They may see you. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. That we may see your glory, we may see your goodness, that we may see you for who you are. And that we may respond accordingly. Lord, would you bring revelation to those people whose hearts have been darkened or seared by selfishness or even they're blinded by their sin or by the things of this world. Lord, would you remove the blinders? 
and reveal your glory to them, that they may respond to you, that they may be able to say that they are your children. In John chapter 1, it says, when the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, that's Jesus, and it says here that He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. He came to that which is created with His His own rejected Him. But to those who believed in His name, to those who put their trust in His name, Jesus, the Word of God, He gave them the right to be called children of God. So Lord, today I pray that we would believe in your name, that you are Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that you are our wonderful counselor, you are our mighty God, you are our everlasting Father, you are our Prince of Peace. Lord, we want to know you as we unbox our gifts this Christmas, Lord, I pray that as we receive more and more revelation of who you are, may we embrace you for who you are in our lives, that our lives would be conformed to that revelation of Jesus in our lives. May we learn to appreciate you more. And Lord, for those of us who are your children, we thank you that you've given us eternal life. We thank you that you give, you give us your provision. We thank you for all your protection. We thank you for all your love. And we thank you that we get to walk in the destiny, the very reason why you created us. What a great privilege, Lord. And for that, Lord, simply for that, we give you all the praise and glory. You deserve all our worship. And today we worship you, not just during Christmas, but all the days of our lives. May our hearts be filled with gratitude for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. We give you praise today, Lord Jesus. And Lord, have your way in your people. And may we reflect your love to others, that they, others may see you in and through our lives. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name.